You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, a podcast made possible by the locals members. We're taking a deep dive this week into the Swedish school system with the help of our guest, journalist Emma Lainse from the Sydsvenskan newspaper. In the first part of the interview, we heard about how the system works and how Sweden performs in an international context. We're going to hear now about why Sweden's schools are so segregated, why girls do so much better than boys, and what Sweden should do to address some of its most pressing challenges if more children are to succeed at school. I'm Paul Omani, and asking the questions with me were the locals Emma Lovegrain, Becky Waterton and Richard Orange. Thank you, as always, to all members who support our independent journalism. If you're considering joining, we'd love to have you, and we'll add a link to our current offers in the show notes. Now, let's listen to the interview. You've said in interviews and articles that Sweden has a has school system that's rigged for failure, where one in ten girls and one in five boys in Sweden fails to graduate from ninth grade, hmm. and then one in three fails to finish gymnasiet, which is like upper upper, upper high school education. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think so many children fail to graduate, and what could the consequences be for both them and and for society as a whole? Well, uh, if we go to the consequences first. Our uh, former prime minister, Magdalena Andersson, who's also a finance minister during a long time, she she said that um, the biggest risk for the Swedish economy and for the Swedish welfare system is that we do have so many people that are not educated. We have one out of 10 who never actually graduate from any more than the Grundskolan, the Primary school. The primary school. Or we might say, yeah, the ninth how, how grade. How old are you when you're in grade yeah, school? Yeah, when you're 15. Yeah. Yeah. And that is very much. We have a lot of, uh, when they come out and, and look for a job, they have very big difficulties in getting uh, getting a, a something to live from. And if they can't support themselves, it means that society has to do it. And it's a big problem that they do. And we do have strange rules saying that if you have if you don't have good enough grades uh, when you finish primary school and go on to secondary school you cannot go on mm. you are not allowed to go on to secondary school you have to stop and there is no alternative for what you can study then mm. so it's not strange that people who have bad grades they don't get as much ed- as education as they could have gotten with other rules. So, of course, it's a big problem that a lot of uh, students don't make it in primary school. In the Swedish system, we have, um, when it comes to give special help, special support to kids, we tend to wait 
for a very long time. In Finland, for example, they give like special support when they're in the first grade or second grade. They get support before they even understand that they are actually lagging behind. But in Sweden, you wait and wait and wait and wait. And it's because, partly because of saving money, <laughs> which is going to cost a lot in the end. Also, it's part of that, what we were talking about before, you don't give special support because you think, oh, let them be kids for a, for a little while more. So there it turns out to be a bad thing, not recognizing that they need help to learn something now. Mm. My understanding of the grade system is that you have to, which I, I compare strangely to, to how it is in the UK, is that you have to pass everything to move on. You can't be someone who's like a genius at maths, but rubbish at languages, which is how a lot of students are. A lot of students are, you know, arty, but not sciencey, or sciencey, but not arty. And in the Swedish system seems to reward people who are a little bit good at everything. Am I right about that? So maybe well, that's a misunderstanding. Yeah, you have to be good enough in a lot of different subjects to be able to move on. You have to, you have to uh, pass in like eight or 11 Hmm. depending on what kind of education you want to move on to. But if you fail in, for example, maths, that's a definite stop. You can't move on from a primary school or when you finish ninth grade. You can't move on to a secondary ed- education. It's strange because, as we all know, there are some people who just can't do maths, but are, you know, fairly bright. You know? <laughs> yeah. My, my uh, dad, he grew up in the 1930s and he came from quite a good good home. So he was always treated with respect by the teachers, but that was not the case for everyone. And he remembered that the teacher once told them in like out loud in the classroom that the only people here who are going to move on to the next level are Börje Lövgren, my dad, and uh, Lennart Andersson or something. The rest of you could try to find a rat hole to crawl into. <laughs> oh my God. So maybe it's got a bit better than that. I think that's slightly improved. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your, your latest book? Because I think it explains really well how the system has become so segregated. Yeah, well, I was talking about these features of the system before. This school choice, for example, has made Swedish schools more segregated than actually the society as a whole is. Yeah. Uh, as a different residential areas makes a lot of the segregation, of course, but then you you add on with a school choice and, and independent schools that makes the segregation between schools even bigger. Paired with the fact that we have had a lot of immigration during the last many years has turned out that we have more and more schools where we have A lot of kids from low-educated families who don't speak Swedish at home and who don't have jobs. They go to certain schools and those schools, they, they have, I mean, they have a bad chance of succeeding from the start, depending on the family yeah. they come from. But they also tend to go to schools that actually are worse off when it comes to being a good school. They don't have as many educated teachers. The staff starts and stops and they're new, new grown-ups all the time. The turnover of the students are also very high. Yeah. So it's very difficult to learn. So it's changing all the time. So they have their background. They come from a weak background and they go to a school that doesn't work as good as other schools. And then, of course, they get a lot worse results. And this is what we see to a larger and larger extent in Sweden. So the difference between schools has been growing quite rapidly mm. for the last 20 years. And this is one thing we 
see what you talked about, Emma, when you talked about pearls, that we see that we have a lot of readers in the fourth grade who are as good as they have always been. And that is very good compared to other OECD countries. But we also have a larger and larger group who are really bad readers. And so this is a result of this school segregation, I would say. And is that linked, mm. is that linked to school choice? Well, yeah, it's a part of it. Because when parents choose schools, they tend to choose segregation. And it's not only well-educated parents who want their children to be with other children to well-educated parents. It's also low-educated immigrant families. They want to have their children in schools where there are a lot of other families like themselves. Yeah. So they all make together, they make a more segregated system. And the school system is not made, it hasn't got any breaks, nothing to counter this no. segregation movement. Yeah, I mean... What I find really interesting is that we have free school choice. Uh, you don't have to pay anything to go to school. So in theory, we should have less segregation because you can just go wherever you want to. But as you say, that's not what happens. I went to a free school at Gymnasiet and uh, like we were a pretty mixed group of kids, but you could definitely see the signs of segregation there in that we all came from homes where we had you know, parents who perhaps had an education themselves or were very involved in our education. But do you think there's anything that Sweden could learn from other countries when it comes to fighting segregation? I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of listeners right now who have thoughts on this because they all come from different countries. But what do you think? Well, I'll come to that. But I will, I will start to say that in this system, it could be less segregation. It hasn't. It has been the opposite. And that is partly because of the features that I was talking about in the start, where you have the schools that try to make it as cheap as possible, they can make a lot of money because they get a voucher for every child. And if it doesn't cost, if they don't spend all that money, they can have a profit. So they don't spend the money on the children, but they do get the money. So what do they do to, to earn a lot of, to earn as much money as possible? Well, they try to get the cheapest children to educate. And the cheapest children to educate are the children from well-educated families because they will succeed in school even though they don't have like educated teachers, for example, or they don't have a good schoolyard to play in. They will succeed anyway. So that is what a lot of independent schools do. Their task is actually to find the cheaper students. So they are telling parents like, if you are an ambitious parent with an ambitious child, who is good at learning, you should go to this school. Do you really think, are you try, or, or do you want to do something more than a normal school do? Then you should come to our school. That's the kind of students that they earn money to have. They are also encouraged to increase the segregation. It's, it's a drive that the schools also have. So I would say if you would as a school system work against segregation, you could recognize that the school choice system that we have in Sweden could be changed so that it is not as segregating as it is today. Of course, you could still have school choice, but in another way. I guess it's a bit of a brain drain as well. If you don't have the well-educated parents with the kids that get help, when it means that the students left in the municipal schools are the ones that are weaker kind of from the start. So you need the most help, which means that the gap between their kind of basic level and the level that they can achieve 
is larger than it would be if you had like a mix of students from different backgrounds. So it means that the municipal schools have worse grades because they need to put more effort in to get their students up to those levels. Yeah, when you at least some skim off all schools. the cream of the of yeah. the kids that are easy to educate. Yeah. But if you for example, if you go to municipal schools in a in a, an area that is well off, yeah. everybody wants to go to the municipal school because it's considered yeah. a good school. So yeah, but some municipal schools are the losers in this system. But someone has to educate the weaker kids as well. You can't just not teach them because they're. That's the off. task of the school system. Yeah. All all children should have as good a, a good an education that is as good as possible. Yeah. Uh, so that is the problem, of course, when the children are more and more divided into different schools. Are there other countries with a free choice system that are that are succeeding in combating segregation? Well, you do have in the systems like in England, for example, you do have independent schools there. I, I think it's called, I, I don't know the term. Um, called Charter schools. Or, or charter schools. Charter schools. Yeah. Where, yeah. I think they're called free schools in England. Those who are free for everyone to go to. Uh, yeah. And the, you have the same kind of schools in the United Adams? States, for example. It doesn't cost anything to go there. You can choose it, but it's independently run. And they must have a good mix of the students when it comes to socioeconomic uh, mixture. Yeah. So that's the work that they have to do in like England and the United States. But they don't have to do that. They don't have to take that into consideration in Sweden. So that would be like a thing that you could say that when you do distribute the children you have to take this into consideration. I heard an interesting interview with you where you where you, you spoke about, I think you had spoken to the head of the Academia school chain, which is, I think, the biggest school chain in, in Sweden. Is that right? Yeah. And yeah. He, he was talking about this kind of idea, but he was accused of Stalinism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. The question of a non-segregated school has become a very, for some in Sweden has become a very left-right kind of question, or some want to make it a left-right issue. Mm. And those who would like to make the system a, more, a bit more like school system in the rest of the world, they say that this is not a left-right issue. It, it's a question of, um, well, you could say it's a very classical liberal thing to wanting to have the same chance for every child to have a good school and that the system we have now actually works against that goal in many ways. Mm. You've mentioned as well that it's hard to get qualified teachers to work at schools in vulnerable areas. Why is that? Because I guess that as a teacher you want to you want to teach and in many of those classrooms where you have a, a, a great many pupils who can't speak the language properly, who do not have families who are actually used to um, schools or education. It's very difficult to teach. Yeah. You do a lot of other things. It's more like a social worker maybe than teaching. And that is when you have a lot of kids with very large needs, you get that situation. And then it becomes more difficult for the school to find teachers who are willing to come there and teach. Didn't Malmo do a bit of that? Didn't they give extra money to attract people to, um, to troublesome schools and also give more money, take money from municipal schools in good areas and give it to the struggling schools? What have some municipalities done 
to yeah. try and attract teachers. They do um, give more money to struggling schools and schools in vulnerable areas. And they also get teachers in those schools are also more paid. Turns out it's not enough. Really? Because they still have a very difficult <laughs> to find wow. uh, to find um, educated teachers. Sweden is really bad off when it comes to this because uh, when compared to other countries, other countries are actually better off in how do you say distributing well-educated teachers to all kinds of schools. In Sweden, struggling schools have a much smaller amount, lesser amount of, of uh, educated teachers than other schools. So only paying teachers is not enough. And it turns out when people, when teachers talks about what is wrong with my job, what am I not pleased with? Of course, pay is one thing, but most of all, they want to have a good chance of making a good job. That's that's the important thing. So what they have done in other countries, for example, it's not only giving them a higher pay, but they also say, okay, in this school, you don't have to teach as many students. You have smaller classes. You have fewer students. You have fewer teaching hours mm. so you can prepare better. That's a recipe for success. Didn't but you, we haven't done that in, in Sweden. Didn't Macron say they would half, I don't know if he ever did it, but he was going to half class sizes in vulnerable areas. That was a mm. that was the French idea, but mm. it's interesting because my, uh, my 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 wife's mother was a teacher in the seventies seventies something in Rosengård School and was like famous across Sweden as this progressive, exciting school to teach in. I mean, couldn't they motivate people like that to say, you know, this is a massive thing for society? You know, you can come and solve the segregation is, problem. You know, can you? I think Rosengård School is doing quite well. Isn't it, it? it is now actually. Yeah, it seems to be. Yeah, it seems. And to be that's doing... in that's in a. An area clusters a vulnerable area by the police, right? It is, yes. It's a domrode. Yeah. yeah. But it's still like half of the students in that area that, or in that school who don't have uh, grades enough to go on. So it's still, yeah, they might be doing well with the students they have, but the students they have are very, they have a very much longer way to go to be able to, to move on in the education system. It's another kind of job in those schools, and many teachers avoid going to those schools, avoid working there. With smaller differences in between the schools, it would be, of course, an easier job also to distribute teachers, to attract teachers to work in all kinds of schools. But um, there's also the problem with getting teachers full stop. I've uh, seen recent figures that show that three in ten teachers at Swedish schools are not qualified teachers. I know one of the teachers' organisations has predicted that Sweden will be short of 37,000 teachers by 2035. Why is there so, such a teacher shortage in Swedish schools? I think a lot of teachers are not satisfied with their working conditions today. I think that answers a lot of that question that they are very much controlled in what they do and how they do it. Uh, they feel that the things that they learn, the skills that they have from this long teacher education, it's not used, really. Um, that they are mistrusted. Very many people choose not to become teachers and educated teachers choose to work in other areas. It's the focus on... Like I know I mentioned uh, teachers' qualifications in my question, but is the strong focus on that 
part of the problem. I mean, there are plenty of people who aren't qualified teachers and that they haven't started to become a teacher, but who are perfectly capable of teaching a subject in the classroom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that would be, of, of course, a lot smaller problem if also the educated teachers wanted to wanted to be in school and teach. And if they had the time to do a good job, which is they don't really feel that today. They feel that they ha- they use a very much of their time in documenting things, uh, making statistics, trying to make to please parents <laughs> who wants all of the wants a special uh, treatment for their own child because parents as you know they can choose to to change schools whenever they want and they take their money and go and so it's important from for the school from a financial point of view that they stay in the school so the parents become more like customers the relation between the school and the parents i think that the teachers are not really uh the role that they are playing in that it becomes a very difficult one when it comes to grading, for example, where everyone wants all the children to have really good grades. It's only the teacher who actually has to say, well, this child has not uh, come far enough to get a good this good grade, for example. It's a lot of pressure in a lot of different ways on teachers. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So while we're talking about grades, the Stockholm School of Economics revealed last week that it's considering requiring applicants to pass an entrance exam because the level of grade inflation, as you mentioned, at some schools means that it can't trust the results anymore. How big a problem is this and what's the solution? I would say it's a really big problem. It's a problem that it's caused by this, that you do compete about the students because you compete about the students to get the money for the students. And how do you compete? By giving good grades, because that's what everybody wants. Then you give good grades to to children who has not earned it. Mm. They're called a glädjebetyg in Swedish. So like joy grades. Joy grades, yeah. And when they move on in the education system, that will be discovered. Yeah. Uh, and that's what Handelshögskolan has discovered. Yeah. And that means that children who go to certain schools and get a lower grade, but can't get into Handelshögskolan or a, a, a good higher education because there is someone, some student who has gone to another school and gets higher grades, doesn't know more 
isn't better at the subject, but they have got higher grades. So they get the place at the higher education or yeah, at the school. This is a huge problem. Yeah. And it is created by the fact that the schools are competing for the students. So what is the solution? You you could, of course, make the your own pass entrance tests mm. and like Handelshögskolan is uh, thinking of. It's a very, very uh, difficult and expensive way of doing it. Yeah. But you could also lessen the ins, uh, the ins, in, incitament, the ins, Incentive. incentives for competing for the children. I mean, what, what I find so frustrating about this debate in Sweden is that the obvious thing to do would be to have external marking of exams. Yeah. Why, are they, why are the schools allowed to mark their own pupils? You could do that, of course. I wondered, could you have external exams in all subjects? If you would do that, you would do that in, in a few subjects like mathematics or English and uh, Swedish. What would happen to the rest of the subjects? What would happen to all those students that are really, really good at uh, uh, certain subjects that will not be tested and that will not make any difference? It will make it a much more narrow education in the long run, I think. And maybe, yeah, external examinations is the is the most doable way of changing things right now. Maybe in the long run, I'm not sure that is the best way take care of the problem. Why, why can't you have it in all subjects? Well, yeah, I think it's a very expensive system to do like that. Also, it will only measure like how you perform on the exam and learning how to sit a test. And Yeah, you know, it measures kind of do that other well. things. It's also a skill. It doesn't measure how mm. you perform in the classroom. You can you can see when you when you look at uh, higher education and who is performing well in higher education, uh, in higher education, you can actually get into by your grades from the upper secondary school, or you can take a test, Högskoleprovet, and get in. And you can see that those who have taken the test, they perform a lot worse. They drop out much more often mm. than those who have good grades. So grades, they tell something more about a student than only what they have as a knowledge mm. they they it, they say something about how willing is this person to work hard for example and that is very important if you want to complete uh, an education so it's a more sort of a ho- ho- holistic uh, result if it's something that's done gradually over the years yeah grades often show something what you have done during a long period of right, time right right is there not also yeah. is there not also a potential for bias though like not just in in kind of giving high grades to the kids that you think deserve it but i mean if 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 you have a student who behaves badly or a student you don't like for a particular reason is there not kind of a, a worry there that the teacher could end up thinking oh well they're not that good you know i'll give them a lower grade but if if everything was i remember when i came to denmark i did my masters in denmark and i was shocked that like you had oral exams that you sat down in front of the teacher and they just gave you a grade straight away like this was coming from Edinburgh, where you have an exam number that you write on every on every exam. It's completely anonymized. Your teacher has no idea who's written each exam. And I was just like, but what if she doesn't like me and gives me a bad grade? Like it, mm. it was a big worry for me. But there is no, you could, you could say that external exams together with grades, for example, mm. could be 
some kind of solution. There yeah, could be like, something you could yeah. do. But isn't that what we kind of have with uh, national approval? The national tests? We do have national tests in some subjects, yes. But a lot of schools give higher grades than the national tests show. But maybe those students actually deserve higher grades because the grades are based on their entire performance yeah. rather than how well they perform. Well, so so that that can actually, yeah, of, of course, that could be, that is a... That it can be a good compromise. It just seems you... like there's no perfect system. I want a perfect no. system. <laughs> uh, the important thing is that you should have a system that gives the incentives to give the students as much knowledge as possible. Yeah. And now that is not the case, really. And so that's that's the the main problem, I would say. One of the things that's been in the news in the last few weeks is the schools minister, Lotta Edholm, said, I think earlier this week, she's putting the brakes on the the National Education Agency's digitalization strategy. Mm. There seems to be a bit of a backlash against the use of computers and mm. iPads in schools. And, and why isn't she happy with, with the strategy that the agency had? And what kind of reaction has there been to her decision? Sweden is one of the most digitalized countries in the world. And they have also had a strategy that says we are going to digitalize the school. And I think in some ways that has gone a bit too far when people think that this means that uh, six-year-olds have to have computers. Uh, it means that you don't have to learn to write in hand, but you can write on a computer instead. You could say that this is a misinterpretation of how it was meant to be, but it has turned out it, it, you draw it too, a bit too far when you say that you don't have to, to write in hand, for example. It is just as good to write on a computer. The important thing is that we write something. Oh, yeah. So I can understand why she's trying to stop it. I mean, there's something that, mm. that, that I've been, uh, as a foreigner, uh, again, I've been, I've been a bit shocked by the fact that my children haven't learned to write uh, by hand. And, 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 and when I t tell people about that, they always like to think that I would want them to have like really neat cursive handwriting. But I, I, I don't mean that. I mean, they can't write by hand at mm. all. They can't mm. write. They write each letter laboriously slowly like they're five, even though they're 11 or 12 And in the UK. They're at the same level as, as my niece, who's four or five in the UK when my daughter's 11. And I find that really worrying. And it's been in the news a bit recently with um, Paulina Noiding. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, what does the research say on, on, on the handwriting debate? Well, it says that if you write something in hand, you remember it in another way than if you write something on the computer. It is written in your on your brain too. Mm -hmm. So um, it is worth something more. It's not two equal ways of writing. It is a fact that some, some students have very much difficulties in reading and writing, of course, then maybe it's a good thing is if they also can have digitalized ways of helping them to, to read and write. Yes. But basically letting students writing on a computer, it has been something that you, to high extent, has let everybody, you, ev all the students do that. I think you've lost a little bit the, the, the acknowledgement that it actually writing by hand, for example, you remember what you write in a better way than if you write on the computer. Yeah, I mean, I remember this myself. Like I, I went to university in 2012. So like I went from high school, I wrote everything by hand, had a big folder full of hole punched pages. It was all like separated by subject. Then I went to university, bought a 
bought a laptop with my summer school money, summer job money just before going to university and then like found it so hard to remember anything because I was just typing everything. I felt it so hard to get organized and all of this. And I, I really noticed that with, you know, you write something down by hand and you remember it. I still remember these handwriting classes in, in primary school. And I think it is something that digitalization isn't necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. It's just, it, it, you need to kind of, it's not either or, you just, you need to use it in the right ways. Mm. Like again, my, my daughter, she, she's been learning colors and stuff and there's some really good apps for like education for young kids, but that shouldn't be the only way that she learns, you know, it should be movement. It should be kind of flashcards, whatever, writing down, drawing. And this is something that Swedish teachers has been saying for a long time that digitalized learning is good. It's good. It's good to have in some ways and for some students, but I as a teacher have to uh, be able to decide when we will use it and in what situations. And I think a lot of teachers have felt that they have been pressed to use digitalization or digital uh, tools, Hjälpmedel. tools mm -hmm. uh, to a much higher extent that they think is good for the children. It also provides a barrier between you and the teacher. Like I remember, you know, it's very easy to just quickly check an email while someone's holding a presentation or to do something else. You've got a screen between you and your teacher. Your teacher can't see what you're doing. But if you're sitting there writing something down, then they can kind of, you can't just start drawing something or like getting your phone up to send a text message or something. You, your teacher knows that you're focusing on the work. They can kind of, I think it's a lot easier to get distracted if you've got a computer in front of you. You've got the access to the entire internet. Well, they've got games. They just go on and they play this mega spell, which you go on the internet and you can just access a game at any time you like. So as soon as they get their computer, they're like playing games and the teachers, very hard for them to stop that happening. Big mirrors behind the, <laughs> yeah. behind the students so they can see what they've got on their screens. Is that what you do in our editorial meetings? I'm afraid so. <laughs> <laughs> you also mentioned in a previous book that girls are massively outperforming boys. Um, can you tell us what you learned there and why it's an issue? Yeah, this this is an issue not in only in Sweden, but in the whole Western world. I've heard this in the UK as well, even yeah. when I was at school. Yeah, that girls perform better and they are, uh, most more importantly, they are more educated. They more often go on to higher education than boys. It's not an issue that a lot of women are well educated. It's an issue that so many men have a really bad education or have a really low education because traditionally it's the man who is supposed to uh, to be the working uh, guy in the family. He's supposed, yeah, the breadwinner is supposed to support his family and so on. So when this traditional view of being a man meets this situation where many men find themselves today, when they have a bad education, they don't get a job, they can't support anyone, not even themselves, drives us into a more insecure society because a lot of men who feel outside or feels not part of the society, they turn to be like, well, criminals, gang criminals, uh, uh, extremists in different ways, uh, net haters, and so on. So a lot of things that the politicians today are talking about as very big problems in our society comes from this situation where this picture of what a man is meets the situation that many men find themselves in today because they're it's two different things so yeah that does anyone have an idea as to why what what is what is it about schools 
the the way the school systems change that has disadvantaged men or were women always kind of more academic and just they were <laughs> it was because we had a less gender equal society that you couldn't see it for the last many decades women have outperformed men in the education system and it's not only in Sweden it's in many so it, it's over a long time and it's in many different school systems so i don't think you cannot say that this is uh, something that shows in this particular school system and in this particular time so this is something we can see but what we have seen uh, more and more over time is that more and more women they do get a good education they can pay for themselves they are independent from men and that makes it an issue it, that's difficult for many men to accept mm. that they're not needed anymore i think also it's i mean even though sweden is extremely gender equal on a global level i mean women mm. or women still take kind of more um parental leave women are more likely to vab like uh, look after their children when they're sick so i think there is still a kind of women i can't remember the figures this is just off the top of my head but women still kind of lose out in terms of like years spent paying into a pension or you know mm-hmm. um time spent outside of the labor market you, you still kind of use more time out the labor market and when when the other partner in in a relationship if we're assuming you know if we're taking heterosexual relationships as a kind of basis here yeah i think you, you would then have an issue there that kind of the economic slack can't be kind of covered in the same way like in a way if you have a heterosexual relationship and you've got a man and a woman the man earns a bit more the woman's out of the labor market they still you still have the same kind of economic situation but then when men are earning less and then women are still out of the labor market everyone's worse off in those relationships mm. so it's yeah it's also an interesting issue there that just because women are doing better doesn't mean that families do better because of it because women still have these other issues with gender equality that play in mm. yeah I mean, most of the countries are still very, in it's a very big difference between men and women. It's big inequality yeah. between the genders. But human beings, they react a lot stronger on uh, losing something than on winning something. And that's, I think, what we're seeing, that men, I don't talk about all men, but some men feel that they're losing something. And that is a much stronger feeling than women that are actually, well, gaining something, going about with their with their life and getting an education and starting working. That's You feel that's quite normal. That's what you should do. Uh, but you have a group of men who who think that, okay, this is not, I want, I deserve something else because I'm a man. And because that's what we say, that this is what a man should be. I should do something else. I am not performing my my life as a real man. I mean, ideally, it would also be equal. Like, uh, it would also be nice if everyone was succeeding at the same rate. I mean, do you think it also, I mean, the way education works has also changed a lot, I think. Like, when I was at school, it was more based around, you know, competitive exams and, you know, you could, like be lazy all through the year and then ace your exams at the end of it by just sitting down and cramming in a short period of time. And now it's much more on coursework and doing a more steady thing. I think that suits, does that suit maybe some men worse? You know, that, that, that it's more you have to have a steady performance over the whole school year rather than, you know, just kind of waking up two weeks before your exams and cramming. I mean, I think the skills that we tend to teach young girls like being diligent, uh, conversation, being able to relate to others, uh, skills that are valued a lot more 
now than they maybe were a few decades ago mm. in the education system and in work life and all of that. So it feels like it all kind of boils down to how we raise our children. Mm. Mm. No, that's true. Yeah, yeah, I heard you. I heard you before. I mean, another interview you referenced uh, a survey where girls who didn't do as well as they expected were asked to explain it, and they they blamed themselves. They hadn't worked hard enough, and bo- mm. boys who were asked the same question blamed everybody else. They blamed the school. Mm. It was external. Mm. Mm. There's also a, a difference between the genders when you when they are asked, uh, "How do you get good at something?" And the girls tend to answer, I get good at something by working at it. And the boys tend to answer, I am good at something because I'm talented. Mm. And that's what we, uh, and that's in some way what we, what we teach them. I mean, that's what we show boys and girls different things. And then they tend to think different things about themselves. And that gender difference, of course, when they come up in the education system and have to work more for their grades, for example, Mm -hmm. that can explain a little bit, I think, of why men then fall out more often. Mm -hmm. Um, You think you're just not mm -hmm. good at something. You don't think that you you can work hard. Well, if you think you're talented and that's uh, that's what uh, makes you good at something, then what you do or not do does not matter. Your if work you're not does talented, not matter. then you can't do anything mm. about it. Yeah, mm. that's very interesting. Is this any more extreme in in Sweden than elsewhere, or is the is the the line kind of the same? The graph. We belong to the more extreme uh, countries, but when you look at the Western world, like uh, the United States, uh, uh, the United Kingdom, uh, for example, we are at about the same level right. when it comes to more women taking graduating in uh, higher education, for example. Like in Sweden today, it's two thirds of all graduations in higher education is done by women. Mm. That is shocking. That's amazing. And that is uh, in uh, in the OECD as a whole, it's 60%. So it's it's, uh, the difference is quite big. But not being as at a not having as high an educational level doesn't stop men being dominant and trying to control all the conversations well, and, we still have, uh, and lead everything. Yeah, we still have. Uh, I mean, men still have better pay, for That's example, shocking. because it's a traditional thing that you uh, that uh, jobs where many that many men do they have they are better paid than, for example, working in kindergartens. That usually a lot of women do. You've just been listening to an interview with Emma Lainse, a journalist with the Sydsvenska newspaper and the author of several books on the Swedish school system. Our sound engineer on this podcast is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again on Saturday with a regular episode of the podcast. Until then, take care. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode, with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.